No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show, which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's Last Colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Maria Morelia uh, Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to all of us and affect our lives every day. Uh, normally, we would ask you to call in, but we have a special guest today, and so we're pre-recording. And our guest today is none other than Senator Joseph Lieberman. Uh, Senator Lieberman was in the United States Senate for 24 years. He was chairman of the powerful Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. Uh, he was our Demo- my party's Democratic nominee for vice president in the year 2000, uh, majority leader of the Senate in Connecticut, and a former Connecticut attorney general. And we're so happy to have him with us today. Uh, welcome to our show, Senator Lieberman. Uh, thank you, Senator Brown. Great to be with you. I love that musical introduction. I never heard yeah. that before. Oh, yes, yeah, Sweet Honey in the Rock. It's a great it's a great song. And, and I'm also here with my co-host, Marilia uh, Duffel, so let me introduce her. And and first, let, let me start out with uh, just saying how much we appreciate you uh, in Washington, D.C., Senator, you not only uh, introduced the statehood bill in the United States Senate when you were there, but you were a fierce advocate for the bill. Uh, And we very much appreciate that. As you know, probably, we have another iteration of that bill in the United States Senate right now. Uh, it's being uh, pushed and, and was introduced, and, and our, our our new advocate in the Senate is Senator Carper of Delaware, who said publicly that the reason he's doing it is because you asked him to do it. You, when yeah. you left, you asked him to, to, to take the lead, and he certainly has. As you know, we have 46 co-sponsors, but we're stuck, Senator. Anyway, is there any chance that we're going to get a Republican on this bill? Do you think that'll happen? It's totally partisan at this point. There there ought to be. I mean, uh, uh, the problem is it's hard to be optimistic about it because we're in such a partisan time, generally, in our Washington politics. Everything is Democrat, Republican, tribal. And so the assumption is which is a probability, but not a certainty that uh, if uh, D.C. and I want to say when D.C. Uh, attained statehood, that its two senators would be Democratic. Well, uh, as, as I've said in testimony on this issue, you could say that's a probability, but honestly, 
you never know what's going to happen in an election. Uh, just that election in Virginia, everybody assumed former Governor Terry McAuliffe was going to win in a state that's been trending Democratic. But lo and behold, uh, for various reasons, the Republican wins. And, uh, you know, so it goes. I mean, uh, who would have uh, uh, guessed that um, in the last election, uh, 2020, that two Democrats would be elected to the U.S. Senate from Georgia? Everybody yeah. just would be Republicans. So you can't tell, but it's a partisan time, and uh, the, too many people are looking at this question of D.C. statehood simply in that partisan political parochial way, when really they ought to be looking at it, as the as the song said, uh, as a question of what what's right according to um, our, our American values. I mean, we, we talk a lot about voting rights uh, for the last few years, and it's much in uh, dispute, both in Washington and in a lot of the state capitals. But we've got a, a, a hundreds of thousands of people who happen to live in our nation's capital of all places, uh, which is, well, by that I mean the capital of this great democracy, which is built on the right to vote and the impact of the vote on who gets to govern, who gets to lead our country. And they can't vote for members of Congress who can represent with full, them with full voting rights uh, in the Congress. I mean, to me, it's just a, an outrageous um, anomaly that you can't justify anymore. Um, you can't justify it, in my opinion, ever. But anyway, I, how did, I, I, uh, so that's my opinion. And uh, it, it's an uphill fight, and yet it's really an important fight worth making. There are a lot of good people on the Republican side in the Senate. It would take real guts for them to break from the party. But I just think to the extent that um, you and the District of Columbia and those of us who, who agree with you about statehood, just sort of go and talk with the people, the Republican senators, one by one, if you think there's any chance of getting their support, and just make make the case. And there's nothing to lose and, and a lot to gain. Well, let me ask you in, in that regard, uh, I don't want to monopolize your time. I'm going to give them really a chance to ask you a question. But you are the co-chair of a thing called No Labels, which I yeah. think is just an amazing, amazing thing, uh, uh, organization that's been around that's trying to get rid of the uh, uh, trying to make a bipartisan uh, consensus um, in, in both houses. Uh, you have a thing called the Problem Solvers Caucus with 50 members, 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats, if I, if I read the press release right, uh, in the House. And, um, um, you know, I have to commend you for that. And your co-chair is Larry Hogan, who's a very, very well-liked Republican uh, governor of Maryland. And uh, so how is that going? Do you see a future? I see that you put out a statement in 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 support of the infrastructure bill, trying to get bipartisan support on that. What do you think? You think that's gonna we're ever gonna we're ever gonna have that happen? That 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 we start making bipartisan consensus again? Be I mean we've done it on the infrastructure bill. Can we do it on other things? 
Yeah, I mean, thanks for uh, talking about the infrastructure bill because it, it should be a basis of uh, giving us some confidence that we can do it again. Uh, you know, when I looked, uh, the, the no labels were started uh, probably 2010, um, uh, and I was still in the Senate. I, I supported it, but I didn't have the time to get really actively involved. When I left the Senate, uh, it seemed to me that one of the things I wanted to continue to do was to work for uh, a return of, of, of two-party solutions, bipartisanship, in Congress, which is always um, what what you had to have, because rarely in the Senate does one party have 60 votes, and, and that's the filibuster. So the no labels was created. The basic point is forget your label. You're, you're, yeah, okay, you're a Democrat. You're a Republican, you're a liberal, you're a conservative. But the important thing is we're all Americans, and we've got to be able to come to the center, not to all become moderates, but to bring our opinions, our ideologies, our party affiliations to the center, meet in the center, and talk about problems civilly with one another, um, do what has always happened in our history, all the way back to the Constitutional Convention, uh, negotiate, understand you, you can almost never in a democracy get 100% of what you want on a given bill. But it's a lot better to negotiate and get 50 or 60% yeah. than to hold out for 100% and get nothing. And no labels uh, began by just trying to get Republicans and Democrats in Congress together to talk about the same problems, whatever they, they were. And uh, uh, so we continue to do that. But we also, frankly, started to separately um, raise money for uh, Republican and Democratic candidates for Congress who we felt really were centrist. Whatever their party affiliation or ideology, they, they were going to work for two-party solutions. And that led to the House Problem Solvers Caucus and something in the Senate called the Common Sense Coalition, which ultimately became a group of 10, which in the bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, brought forth from these two groups became the group of 20 senators. And when it got into the Senate, President Biden uh, sort of entered the room and, and negotiated with the Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. And they came up with an agreement, passed the Senate with 69 votes, including Mitch McConnell, went to the House, was held up for a while because the progressives progressives in the House caucus wanted to get a commitment on the other bill, which was their right, but ultimately there was a separate vote uh, on the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, and it was it was bipartisan, really, in the vote. I mean, six Democrats voted against it, and so if every Republican voted against it, it wouldn't have passed, but 13 Republicans uh, bolted from their party, if you want a little optimism, about the possibility of getting Republican uh, Senate support for statehoods. Maybe there's a little bit of encouragement. And it passed, and President Biden signed it uh, in a big ceremony. It's, it's a great accomplishment for Congress and, of course, more important for the country. So it can happen. I mean, if I can get in a shameless plug, I just wrote a book uh, that was published called The Centrist Solution. And uh, it, it's, it's my attempt, to, and the subtitle is How We Made Government Work and Can Make It Work Again. And I, I describe um, five or six 
big cases uh, in which, um, um, in my 24 years in the Senate, um, we solved big problems by working together, and whether it was environmental or national security or homeland security or human or civil rights and and uh, and budget uh, uh, balance stuff. And uh, I think the, it, there's no mystery to it. Uh, you just got to. Uh, that's what I'm. I'm hope the book gives some encouragement to uh, voters who read it, but uh, I hope it also. It gives an, a lesson to members of Congress and people in the White House. You, all you got to do is be willing to sit and talk together and figure out how you can make the system work. I'll just say one final word about it. Being a centrist is not the same thing as being a moderate. And as I write in this book, one of the great centrists that I worked with in my 24 years was Teddy Kennedy. Well, Ted Kennedy was obviously a liberal Democrat and a real believing, passionate liberal Democrat. But when Teddy wanted to get something done, wow, he came to the center, met with the Republican uh, uh, opposition or leaders on his committee and in the Senate, and negotiated, just like I said. And uh, he got some enormous things done, Children's Health Insurance Program, Americans with Disabilities Act, um, uh, health care reform, education reform. Uh, so it, uh, what I'm saying is you don't have to be a moderate to be a centrist. You just have to want to get something done in the time uh, in which you're lucky enough to serve the people in Congress. Well, you know, now that you brought up his dam, I also have to mention he introduced a statehood bill and, and he was famous for having a personal relationship with Bob Dole and, you know, I don't see any of that going on in the Senate anymore, but but let me tell you, the thing that intrigues me most about about No Labels is is the is the uh, name of the organization, No Labels, because I think yes. that's unfortunately where we've gone, you know. You tell me you're a Republican, I know all about you. You tell me I'm, you know, I tell you I'm a liberal, you know all about me. So, the labels are really important. Marilia, I don't want to monopolize yeah, the time. Agree. They become too important. It's a, it's a, Michael, it's a great point. You got to get away from that. Because most people are not 100% liberal or 100% conservative or right. Democrat. They, they vote for the person, they vote for the idea, support the idea. But that's all changing now, even among the people, not just the politicians. And that's really dividing our country when we really can't afford it. Yeah, absolutely. Morelia, do you have a question for the senator? Well, what I was going to say is exactly what you brought up, which is no labels. Um, and I kind of stumbled upon it back in 2011 when yeah. um, I, w I went into a building on Wisconsin Avenue and, and, and saw the office and was intrigued by the um, by the name. And I went in and asked them about it. And it struck me that the Tea Party which I believe had be, had started about a year before, um, yeah. unfortunately got a lot more play than No Labels. I thought No Labels was fantastic and exactly what we need. And that was, as you know, we know, 10 years ago. Why do you think the Tea Party got so much purchase? They got so much more media coverage. I mean, they were basically in the news all the time. And why did No Labels, when that is exactly what should have happened? No Labels represented things like, you know, the likes of a Jack Kemp working with a Democrat like Tony Hall from Ohio, both working together on poverty issues. Um, right. And now you have Jim, Gra um, 
Grassley just, you know, running away from what makes sense just because he's he's um, bowing to to the cult of Trump. Yeah, well, I, I must say, I, I love that story of you walking into the building where No Labels was. Yeah. And I, your question is a really uh, significant one, and it says a lot about where we are. And frankly, it says in our politics in America, and it says a lot about uh, the negative uh, influence of the media, unfortunately, because they... Um, they highlight uh, uh, controversy. They highlight uh, people who are yelling at each other. Most significantly, uh, uh, President Trump, when he was in, he was in the ultimate of that. But but every day, I'll tell you an interesting story about the book I just wrote, The Central Solution. Somebody said to me, um, you know, you're not going to get a, a major publisher to publish this because they believe that the money is in uh, left or right books, uh, and particularly books that are nasty towards somebody or the other party. Centrism, this person doesn't sell. Well, I I got a good publisher called Diversion to publish it, but that's really interesting. You look at the bestseller list of some of the newspapers, and really it's the... uh, and so, and now it's often the personalities on the media, like the the, the Fox uh, uh, network yes. personality. When they write a book, or CNN on the other hand, or even MSNBC, they they tend to sell uh, more copies immediately than others. And and they, you know, and I, I I grew up in a time it was before cable, so I'm I'm getting on in years where um, <laughs> we broadcast news every night. And, you know, people like Walter Cronkite, Chet Huntley, people like mm-hmm. that. Honestly, we didn't, I certainly didn't, I couldn't have guessed whether any of them were Democrats or Republicans, liberals or conservatives. Exactly. Basically, mm-hmm. they just supported the news. And uh, yeah, that, was, that was pretty good for the country. So how do we unite people around this? You know, one of our guests, one of our previous guests, Dan Rather, has written a book called What Unites Us. You know, a similar, I don't know how well it's doing, but a similar idea that there is, we do have core values as Americans, don't we, Senator, that we all love our children, we love our country, we, you know, aren't there core values? There are, there are core values. You might have some disagreement from people, but you're right. I'll I'll say this, in in a sense, in paper, on paper, uh, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence express our our founding values, which are still core values. And that sentence in the Declaration of the self-evident truth that we're all created equal uh, by our Creator and endowed by the Creator with the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, uh, our history is really, in, its, in the best light, an attempt to continue to realize that core value because it obviously wasn't realized at the beginning. I mean, people of color just were not counted uh, equally in the, in the terrible compromise of the Constitutional Convention. Uh, as you know, five uh, uh, African-Americans were counted as three people for population, but of course they couldn't vote. Uh, population and representation women had no rights. And so really over our history, we have extended 
and applied those values. But beyond that, there is an ethic in our country that people feed into. People, as you said, they, they care about their kids. They want a better, safer future for the kids than they've had for themselves. And they're doubting that now. A number that I follow on the polls, which really concerns me, is that you ask people, is the country headed in the right direction or wrong? And I, I had a feeling that Trump could have won and might win in 2016, even though I was a strong supporter of Hillary Clinton, because uh, the, uh, almost two-thirds of the people kept saying the country's headed in the wrong direction. So it seemed right for a change. And then again in 2020, again they said wrong direction. And I thought, you know, Joe Biden has a chance here, and of course he won. But unfortunately, it's, uh, it was the numbers were better at the outset of the uh, Biden administration. Now, once again, it's about two thirds, uh, almost seventy percent of the country saying the country is headed in the wrong direction. And but, but we've really got to get back to our core values, as you described them, and um, as the people really generally live them in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their churches, in their synagogues, in mosques, and wherever they are uh, around the country. And the, the government has to reflect that instead of uh, spending all its time just standing on a Republican uh, side of a fence and a Democratic side and throwing basically throwing verbal rocks at each mm -hmm. other uh, all the time. Um, so I've got time maybe for one more question. I apologize. It's been a great discussion. And, uh, well, you know, the, um, uh, I just look for the day when Washington uh, has uh, not a shadow senator, but, but a senator senator. So, yeah, thanks, amen. Amen to that. And, and I'm sorry, Marilla, let me, I have to ask this question. No, because please, by all I means. Was, I, was in, I was in Los Angeles at the convention when you accepted uh -huh. our party's nomination. I've been at every convention for the past 40 years. When you accepted our party's convention, uh, our, our party's nomination for vice president, you were in one of the closest elections in American history. Uh, you and Vice President Gore lost by five electoral votes. We all remember the hanging chads and all the nonsense that went around with that. But when right. it was over, when it was over and the challenges had been made, you and Vice President Gore accepted the results of the re election. How damaging is it that the Republicans, uh, a core group of Republicans, has refused to stand up and say, yes, Joe Biden is our president, yes, the election was fair? Is that, does well, that damage that, our democracy so much? Oh, it, it, it's terribly damaging because the, the legitimacy of the vote, which determines who holds Power is a centerpiece of uh, of our system of government, and if after the votes are counted, and you have your chance to go to court, which is where problems are resolved in this rule of law country of ours, and the courts basically say no. I mean, and I'll go back to 2000. Al Gore and I felt that the Supreme Court decision, U.S. Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore, was a terrible and unfair decision really without precedent, but, and I give uh, Al Gore the, the, the credit here, we talked about it late that night when the decision came out, 
And uh, there was some in the campaign arguing that we go back to the Florida Supreme Court, which the U.S. Supreme Court seemed to allow. But Al said, and I must say, I wasn't as clear as he was. I sort of said, well, maybe we should try it. What do we got to lose? There's a lot on the line here. And he, and he, he said, let's think about it. He called me back about an hour later. It was after midnight. And he said, uh, I, I decided we've got to end this show. He said, uh, uh, you know, we're getting close to the day in which the new president is supposed to be inaugurated. And if we go back to Florida, it won't be decided until then. There'll be a constitutional um, um, a problem about who's in control of the government. So uh, President Trump had his right. He, took, he, he and his followers filed 50 lawsuits decided by judges appointed by various uh, president's parties and they lost them all and yet he wouldn't accept it and that led to the the nightmarish events of january 6 which nobody ever yeah. imagined i certainly didn't we would ever see in our country and it's way as bad as the civil war and really fought for something that is much to put it mildly much less worthy than the battle for the civil war which is about slavery and uh, in fact, President, I, I offer this final opinion. Uh, so what, what the President Trump and his followers have done, I think, is very hurtful to our system. But I now think that the fact that they continue to uh, complain and it becomes a centerpiece of what they're doing about the uh, um, that Joe Biden is a, a illegitimate president is really reducing support for them and for President Trump if he decides to run again. So they've hurt democracy. They've hurt our system. But I think an increasing number of Americans are feeling, come on. I mean, the, the, this America is always in our life. Life is about uh, today and tomorrow, not about yesterday. And really, it's time for them to move on. And as long as they cling to that stale argument, uh, I think it's going to hurt them now more than it hurts the country. Hey, listen, it's great, been great to talk to both of you and uh, keep up the fight. Tom Carper is a great advocate. <clears throat> he was right in what he said. I believe so much in D.C. statehood. Incidentally, Eleanor Holmes Norton and I went to law school together. I so know. It was like a reunion, you know, when we got from the get work on, on all that together and uh, on the D.C. statehood. And um, Tom's a believer, and he's a very methodical worker. So he, he and I just felt this is something I really believe in. I want to make an appeal to Tom because he was about, at that point, to become the uh, senior Democrat on the uh, Homeland Security Government Affairs Committee, which has jurisdiction over um, D.C. and statehood. And uh, God bless him. He had been for it all along, and he said, you know, I'll take the baton. I'll take the torch, and he has. And just don't don't give up because this is, you know, justice. Dr. King said it: the arc of the moral universe bends slowly, but it bends toward justice. And we'll get there. And uh, we we have we have a right and an obligation to do all we can to bend that arc more more rapidly than uh, it might naturally move. Anyway, great to talk to you both. Just have thank you, great nice. thank you, and. Uh, We'll talk to you again sometime soon. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Senator Senator. Lieberman. Thanks so much for being with us. And now let me apologize to my co-host, uh, really, for mo monopolizing the time. But that's what happens when you have one of your heroes 
<laughs> on, on the show, you know. I, I, hey, you deserve I'm sorry. it, Mike. And, and, and you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that we have some. You and I have some time to talk because um, you know this is this. I think will be our inaugural show on WEAC Radio, and I want our listeners to know uh, something about you. Um, you know, I think you're a phenomenal person. We've been friends for years. Uh, your background is amazing. The idea of the show when we started it was to get people that that come from different perspectives and, and much like the the idea behind No Labels, try to show that, that uh, there's just as much that unites us as separates us. And, you know, your background's different than mine in the sense that we both have a political background, but you were appointed by Republican presidents to, to do things. I've always been a Democrat. Uh, you, you, you know, obviously have a different perspective as a woman. So it's really great to have you on the show and, and have you share in this experience. It's not only, not only because it, it's great for me personally, because I know and care about you and, and we've, we've, we've known each other for years, but also because I think you bring so much to the table, so much to the discussion uh, and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm just so happy that we, we continue to do this and we're doing it with a woman who's an independent and, and a guy that's a Democrat. And we hope much like Maria and I, we will, we will come to consensus on many things. And I think we will, uh, you know, we both love our country and, and, and uh, love our families. And we, we do have the same core values. Do we not? Well put. Absolutely. Well, first, let me thank you for your far too kind comments about me. Um, I don't deserve all that, but you're very sweet. Um, and you're absolutely right. We have core values and we have um, the we do share some views. Our Venn diagram does come together. But on the things that we do differ on, I think they are increasingly far and fewer between. But um, we agree to disagree. And like um, I think it was Justice Kennedy um, in an interview, and he has said it in other um, forums, that, you know, once you talk to your opponent, you learn things that you didn't know before. And you not only learn where they're coming from, but you learn about his position, his or her position, and how those two can coalesce and come together and and, and form a solution. So I'm happy that we have this forum, and I hope that it continues to serve the, I think, wonderful example that you sought to give by having um, one Republican, one Democrat, or me now an independent, um, uh, you know, show show people that it does work and it and it is enjoyable and and um, enlightening and edifying. So thank you so much, and it's an honor and a privilege to be here, Mike. Really. Well, thank thanks. You. And and you know, I I mean, it. I think basically, I think it gets down to respect. You know, if you mm-hmm. respect. I have respect for you as my friend, someone I've known for years. So if you say something that I disagree with, I don't, I don't put any kind of normative 
you know, I don't say that Morelli is a bad person, you know, because I don't believe that. I believe you're a good person. And, and, and so when I look at, if you have a difference of opinion with me, what I say is you have a difference of opinion with me. Not, right, not that, right. you know, not, not that, again, back to the whole labels thing. I think we're so into that now that oh. you're a, you're a conservative, so I know everything about you. You're right. a liberal, so I know everything right. about you. Mm-hmm. You know, and and it and and it and it's just crazy. The one thing that I didn't get to ask um, uh, Senator Lieberman, which I would have loved to ask him, is what about our friend Joe Manchin? Nobody knows what he is these days, you know. And 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 it's funny that he was the first guest. He was the first guest on the No Labels radio broadcast when it w- went on the air in, in 2015. Uh, mm-hmm. He and I can't remember who the other one was. I think it was Tom Ridge was was a Republican or something. But but he was a Democrat that that, that was seen as the, you know, the, the No Labels guy, the good example of what it means to be, uh, you know, uh, less partisan. And, right. and he's just turned out to be an obstructionist. And I don't even know that it's partisan. Mm-hmm obstruction you know i'm not i'm not sure that he's not just as interested in obstructing the republicans as he is the democrats but i absolutely agree with that and i was going to mention that i think a lot of this nowadays is partisanship but it's not so much partisanship as you mentioned with manchin's case in that as it is um just wanting to be right for whatever selfish reason it is. And I think getting reelected has become increasingly the sine qua non of a politician's existence. Of course, it's obvious that you have to get elected to be a politician. But, I mean, there are other things these people can do. There are other jobs in this world. I mean, these people are, a lot of them are lawyers. Why don't they go practice? Why don't they they go be um, a general counsel or or a, a public advocate or um, a public defender, I mean. There are so many things these people can do. Why is winning the be-all and end-all at the cost of whatever value you happen to hold? And I think that is a big part of this, um, this quote-unquote, partisanship, this, this mansion, to name him as a current example, hold on in this, this infinitesimal grip on whatever position he's taking at the expense of not only his moral values, but at the expense of our country's welfare. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. And one of the things that I admired about Senator Lieberman is I think that he got the single most important thing about being a politician, and that is it's a service job. Right. It's a, a job where you're supposed to serve. It's not about power. It's not. A, it shouldn't be about power right. or money or prestige. It should be about service. And, and uh, you know, I think some still get that. But I think a lot of them, a lot of them don't. It's just turned into a nonstop con- contest to see who can win. And, and you know that uh, in the end, I think we all lose with that perspective because uh, I think the best thing you could do to straighten out Congress would be make congressional terms four years 
instead of two years. So these guys weren't always, they're not always out there raising money and trying to be popular. That's the other thing, yeah. And it takes, increasingly, takes so much more money. Yeah. But you're right, they spend a lot of time on the phone or going to fundraise. $800 million. For two years. Yes. $800 million they spent on the elections in Georgia. It's just amazed me. $800 million the two sides spent. When I worked for Jimmy Carter, we didn't spend that much on the presidential election. I think we spent $100 million on the presidential election, and we thought that was an incredible amount of money. And, and you know, now they spend over a billion dollars. Obama spent yes. over a billion dollars. I'm yes. sure Biden spent over a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah. And I think also, like Lieberman pointed out, and 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 you suggested too, I think the best news and the worst news about democracy are the same news, that it represents the people. And to a certain extent, this is who we are these days, right? Who we are. We, we, we we're, we're so ready to fight over every little thing. And, and nobody's talking about the values that, that bring us together. You know, Absolutely. I got a lot of, I got a lot of positive feedback on what I wrote on Veterans Day in support of veterans. Mm-hmm. You know, I think America appreciates whether you believe them. I, I, I hope there's never another war. I think the most patriotic oh thing you can do yes. is to protect veterans, keep them home. Absolutely right. And, 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 but, you know, I think we all have respect for what they've done for all of us, mm-hmm. and, you know, and our kids and our, yes. our, you know, our families. I know that you, you have a great family. Uh, and, and that you're very involved with them. And, and um, you know, these things, we need to bring people together around these things, I think. We'll see. Totally the, agree. the pandemic is just, that's another thing I wanted to ask him. We didn't have a chance to ask him. He was co-chair of the Bipartisan Biodefense yes. Committee of Congress. With Tom Ridge. With Tom Ridge, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and, and I'm wondering... Does this pandemic, does this give like radicals the idea that, hey, this is a philosophy that, you know, this is a strategy that really works, man. We can bring an industrial country to its knees uh, with this, just like 9-11, right? They couldn't they couldn't attack us, but they could fly planes into our buildings, right? And so I'm just hoping that they don't. They don't, uh, you know, that this doesn't inspire uh, other terrorists to, uh, you know, use bioweaponry because that's really. Well, I think it would. I think it has. But I think also yeah, they uh, have other um, sort of equally nefarious and invisible, if you will, weapons because viruses are invisible. But but so is cyber warfare. That's kind of invisible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's already happened. I mean, they can can attack our electric grids. They can let loose some virus. Well, and let me, right, they can put a virus into the, into the, the grid. And, and let me just say to terrorists out there, you don't need to bother with me because I'm so inept at using the internet already <laughs> it's, it's, that I'm, I'm, the best thing you can do if you want to screw me up is just leave me alone. Yeah. 
So, <laughs> she left but, to your own destructive devices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when my kids aren't around to help me, you know, uh, they they get so annoyed with me. They take. I'll try to look up something on my phone and they just grab it from me. They go, Dad, give me the phone. You know, like you know, you're no. I think they all do that though. So, but um, you know, I I don't know where we go from here as a country to reach out to each other. But I sure, I hope our little radio show uh, helps do that a little bit. We've had Republicans on the show. We've had, you know, the the head of the Republican Party, uh, uh, Michael Steele, who was the mm-hmm. governor of Maryland. We've had him on the show. We've had people from the Cato Institute who are Republicans on the show. We've had other Republicans on the show. We had the, the uh, only Republican to ever vote for statehood on the show. He He's in his 80s, and he's still... <laughs> He's still in Maryland working to clean up rivers that, that flow into the Chesapeake Bay. He's, you know, an amazing guy. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but we want to have more of that on the show because we want people to feel that um, there's a place that they can come to, a place that they can ask questions, a place that they can listen to ideas, which, uh you know, affect all of us, you know. And again, I'm just so happy to have you have you on the show, you know. Well, so thank people... you, Mike. I'm so thrilled to be here. And, uh, you know, along the lines of what you just said, um, I have a science head. I mean, I've worked in politics and science, as you know, and, and in journalism. And my science head sticks. And, and in thinking about this, you're mentioning the um, the, the Maryland guy, and um, I forget who we were just talking about as well. But People whose oh, Michael Steele, people whose core values allows them to be open um, and and share ideas and be open to others' ideas and take others' ideas, analyze it, and say, okay, I agree with that or I don't agree with that, or how can we work that out mutually satisfactory fashion? Um, and I'm one of those in terms of of issues, as you know. So what about this collective group of people to approach it sort of from a semi-scientific way. What about this group of people that allows them to do that? What is the common denominator? What is the, the vein that runs through this group of people? And perhaps something can be, can come out of that. You know, maybe those types of people, all those people can form a group. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that I wanted you so much on the show is because of that background. Because as you may or may not know, I, I cried in front of the professor to get out of to get a C in biology one on one. You know, know I I took I took my first lab practical and and I looked through the first ten microscopes and and in every one I saw paramecium. And then I got to the end and I said, what are the chances that they, that they made everyone, a, you know, one of them has to be be something else. But but so it's great to have somebody with scientific background. And you know what? We do think so. We do think of things differently. Right. And, yes, and, and that's the whole idea of all of this is that I think, you know, one of the most important things if I had to leave like three or four 
uh, pieces of advice to my children. One of them would be Einstein. What you see depends on where you stand. You know what the way something looks is is absolutely relative to where where you are in the world. And and you know we have so much in a country that's made up of so many different cultures. Oh my gosh! So many different backgrounds. Yeah, we have so much, and I think that's one of the reasons we've been so successful. You know that that amazingly so because it is. Not so homogeneous. It is extremely heterogeneous, yeah. not just in people, but in in um, in land, in yeah, topography and geography. So it's 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 incredible, you know. And as I traveled to, to Wyoming and looking down, the yeah, road, Wyoming, swaths of of no land, not one house down there, not one sign of of civilization. It's just amazing that. This country, as large as it is and as heterogeneous as it is, has done so well. It's something to be really proud of. You know, I when I was last time I was in Wyoming, I think it was 1972. Oh my God. And I remember going down a highway and thinking to myself, I was by myself, if I run out of gas or something happened, <laughs> I could die oh here. God. Yeah, I could <laughs> die here and people would not. You know, it'd be a month before anybody figured it out. You know, coming from from this area where I grew up, you and I grew up not far from each other. Uh, but that's right. And but going out there and driving down a highway for twenty minutes and not having anybody pass you the other way was it was like something out of the Twilight Zone. And and uh, yeah, and I don't think yeah, I don't think we get it. We you know that people in Manhattan are never going to think the way the people in Wyoming think or, or, or you know, uh, uh, people in California. I remember going out on the beach. You'll love this. I, I get to San Diego. I went on this trip where I went through every state I'd never been in when I was 19, 18, 19. And so I get to California. No, I should have got on my motorcycle because <laughs> then I'd still be in Maryland. I had to... I had to I had a motorcycle that broke down like every 10 miles. I think I, I had an old Harley Davidson. I think I pushed it more than I rode it. I but I got out to California and I walked out onto the beach in my loafers and black socks and shorts and t-shirt. And I saw all these blonde guys with perfect bodies and surfboards and bare feet. And I said to myself, this is not a place for a kid from New Jersey, you know? <laughs> Like, where's the boardwalk? I don't, I don't get it. There's people swimming in the water. What the hell is that? You know, it's blue. Uh, uh, and it's blue. Yeah, you, you actually can see through it. Uh, that can't be right, you know. So, yeah. So we all come from different perspectives, but uh, we're running out of time here. So let me just say to my good friend uh, Marilia Duffels, I'm so happy to have you on the show and to have your amazing perspective and for, for you know for for the sake of transparency let me say that that Marilli and I bonded uh in a way that that I think people bond a lot we had a job where we were both uh, uh systematically abused by our employer so you know so we got to, yeah so we bound together in, in for our survival I think in that environment, and and you make good friends that way, friends of a lot. Sure did. 
and with Pam Wazalewski as well. She Pam was part of the, the trio that yeah. kept each other afloat. And and let's just say, let's give her a shout out because she's a new grandma. Yeah. I've seen many pictures of her, her uh, lovely grandson. Um, you know, it's funny when you have your first child, right? You take 10,000 pictures. And then when we had the third child, we got like two pictures of Mary. Joyce <laughs> complains about it. She goes, I'm not a member of the family. Uh, you know, but, uh, and that was my brother. When he became a grandfather, I finally had to write him and say, as as beautiful as your grandson is, he really doesn't look that much different at three weeks old as he did at two weeks old. You know, so, so like send me a picture and he went out for his first birthday or something. <laughs> but it's great. Well, uh, thanks to our listeners. Thanks to Morelia for, for once again helping me out here. I'm sorry that I monopolized so much of the Senator's time. But as we go on, I think you'll you'll see that we have a different perspective and it's an important perspective. And we're gonna leave you with a song we always do. I always do this at the end of the show, dedicated to our guests. And uh, this goes out to Senator Lieberman and all the people that are involved in no labels, which is a great cause. Here's Dave Mason. Amen. with we just disagree um, because it's the truth. You know, there are no good guys. There are no bad guys. There's just you and me and we just disagree. Thanks. That's we'll see lovely, you. Mike. All right. 